so excited to be preaching to people, like in the room. This is so much better than having like my kids spread out and just preaching at them, trying to, ha- I'm having them be like, guys, you got to look interested. You got to give me all you got. So you guys are, I'm just, I just love seeing your faces and your masks even. So uh, let's pray and then we'll look at the scriptures. <coughs> Sorry about that. Father, thank you so much um, just for the ability to gather together in your name. And God, I thank you that your presence transcends time and space and that there's literally people watching online and they might be watching it like way later uh, in, the, in the future. But Lord, I just thank you that your grace is on your word and your grace releases your presence. And God, as, as we spend these next moments, Lord, we, we honor your presence. We honor your word. God, we are not here to hear what Daniel thinks. We are here to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open up all of our eyes to see clearly what you have in store for us, what you want to say, what you want to deliver. God, I pray that you would just do such a work at each and every one of our hearts. God, that what you revealed to me, Lord, I ask for your presence and your grace that they would see what you have shown me today. I ask that you speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, most of you are aware that we are in a series called Receive the Gift. And uh, what's funny about the idea of receiving the gift is we're talking about how God gives good gifts to his people. Every gift that God gives to us is good. And so because God's gifts are good, we would almost assume naturally that if the creator of the universe says, hey, I want to give you a gift, we would naturally say, yes, I will take that gift. I don't know what it is, but I want it. But as we've been looking over the previous weeks, that God does things in such a way that he puts extraordinary, wonderful gifts in packages that are less than desirable. God will take you know, I heard one preacher this week, it was pure coincidence, he was kind of preaching a similar idea as a Robert Madu, and he said, he goes, God is a terrible rapper, <laughs> which I can relate to that, I made in his image, I'm a terrible rapper when it comes to, to rapping presents, I'm just, it's just shameful how, how, how bad my rapping is, but I, that's why I get the bags, you know, but, but God will purposefully answer our prayers, bless us, bring good things to us, and a lot of times we say, God, you know what? No thanks. I don't like that. And we, we, we looked the first week at this idea of the stigma and how a lot of times when God gives a good gift, he'll attach something that kind of sh- exposes how humble we are and how much we fear man. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about the gift of delay, and I was, as soon as I saw that title, I was like, oh, because we don't like God's timing, right? Who, you know, I mean, we, we do eventually, but right, but we, right now, we're like, come on, God, let's just get this going. I don't like this delay stuff, and today, I want to talk to you about receiving the gift of diversity. Diversity. We uh, love the idea of diversity. We love the word diversity, but as it pertains to what God has for us, a lot of times we don't really like diversity. We like people who are like us. And can you blame us? 
I mean, I like people like me. I like people, you know, that think like me, that are gifted like me, that process through life, through God's word, through situations like me. So when I get around people that don't think like me, that don't act like me, you know what we call them? Weird. Anybody that's not like me is weird because I'm normal. Right? Well, some of you are like, you're, it's breaking down here, Daniel. But for you, who you are is you view that as normal. And people that don't do it like you, they're the weirdos. And what God purposely does is he gives the gift in the weirdos. And you might be sitting next to one right now. Because what happens is, is we're like, God, I need this. And God, where are you? And God's like, everything that you need, I have given to you. Really, God? Really? You? I asked for, yeah, God's like, I gave you the gift. Like, I don't see the answer anywhere. God's like, that's because they're sitting next to you in church. Them? No, God, you can't work through them. Because they offend me. You can't work through them, God, because I don't, they're just, they're just, they're this, we, we, we have a lens in the way that we view life, and, and we all know we're right, right? I know I'm right. You guys may not be, but I, I know that I'm right. The way I see is the right way, and everybody that doesn't see it like me is obviously wrong. Some of you guys are, are like, don't know what to think about this. I'm joking. I'm joking around. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what happens is, is we gravitate to people who are like us, who are gifted like us, and everything in us naturally fights against diversity. That is why we have a, a variety of churches in our own com- little community of Butte, Montana, and the surrounding region. We got one church that thinks this way and has core values this way, and they operate. And you know, if you get around, if you start to notice, not only do they all think alike and they all look through the same lens, but they all have the similar gift mix. The, the people that are teachers gravitate to the teachers. The te- people that are prophetic gra- gravitate to the prophets. And you start to see, as we navigate and as we process through, that God loves diversity, but most of the time we don't. Because we don't, we, we want everybody in this church to think and be gifted and act like us and not be weird. And some of you are like, Daniel, actually, I know I'm the weird one. You know, some of you just found out, no, but you've, you've acknowledged it, you've come to that point. So I believe today there are packages, there are gifts all throughout this room. And you are a gift from God to the body of Christ. And we oftentimes completely miss out on who and what God has given to us and made available to us because, first of all, we don't have a clue it's available, but second of all, because we don't like it. We're not cozy with this idea. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about this, and I'm going to spend some time today kind of painting a picture for you and then as the picture is painted, it's really, we're going to connect the dots. And it's going to 
for many of you, it's going to blow your mind. Because I believe what I'm going to share with you today is such a empowering, life-giving truth that so many don't even know that they have available to them. But today we're going to, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have a Bible or even the Bible on your phone, I, I'm, we're going to have the scripture verses. They'll be on the screen. But I really would encourage you today, uh, more, more than usual, to have a Bible in your hand if you have one available. If you're at home, I would encourage you to, to grab your Bible because I want you to see this. I want you to see that I'm not making this stuff up. And a lot of times we have... In all honesty, for many of us, I'm going to try to undo your teaching that you've received before today because a lot of times we have misunderstandings about what the scripture really says because we were taught wrong. So Ephesians chapter 4, this is the apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. So I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness, that word lowliness is humility, and gentleness. The word gentleness there, I'm reading now the New King James, the word gentleness is um, really the word meekness, which is strength under control. It's when you have the power to get back at somebody and you, you have that control. So you, humility and meekness with long-suffering. That word long-suffering really conveys the idea of turning the other cheek. Bearing with one another in love. That means not only bearing with people, but bearing with their idiosyncrasies. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to see in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep, not to attain, but to keep. So unity comes through the Holy Spirit, it does not come through our best efforts. We don't have to get to the place of unity. We have to keep what has already been given to us. Are you, guys, are you, are you still on the train? You with me? We're going we're gonna to get, get some places today. So we're going to keep that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's talking about our relationships unto one another and how we do this. And why unity is so key. Now, the next thing he's going to do, after talking to the church about unity, he's going to now give the Trinity as an example of how to do this. So we're going to see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are God. All three are essentially the same, but they all three have different roles. Out of having different roles, they all walk in unity. So, looking at verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. That's, that spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there's one Lord in verse 5. That Lord is referring to Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. So he's saying, we are going to keep that unity, and our example is the unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share. So they, they operate 
out of unity, even though they are not the same. All right, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, verse 7 is a very important uh, verse for us today because it's going to unlock some things for us. But to each one of us, who? Each of us. Who gets this gift? Does this apply to only people that are paid by churches? Are you sure? Because a lot of people think it only applies to the professionals. But to each one of us, I want to read uh, what it says in the Greek. Actually, I, I don't know Greek, but I copied down what the expert says. So this is what the expert says. Now to each single one of us. That is very personal, and he was, he was, he was explained. That, that language is personal. It is not just this lump sum. To, to Rachel, and to Joshua, and to Michonne, and to Sean, what grace was given to each one of us. And that, it says, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So, the gift was given according to the measure that Jesus had. Now, now he's quoting from a verse out of the Old Testament. This is, I'm, I'm going to get to some places. We're just, just stick with me, guys. Use your brain here. I know it's early. If you're at home, get some coffee. Just, we're going to do this. When he ascended on high, that's Jesus, he ascended. After he died, he ascended, and he led captivity captive. It's a good day. And he gave gifts to men. So the original verse that Paul is actually referring to, to actually says something more like Jesus received gifts for men. So Jesus received it from the Father, as, not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. As a, as a man, he received from the Father, and then he in turn gave it to humanity. So, what I want you to see, uh, and I don't have time to really dive into everything today. This is pure torture for me to just kind of lightly tread on a lot of ideas. Every gift that we have received in this, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is 100% of it. So I might receive 20%, and Mark might receive 20%, but Jesus operated in all 100%. It's almost like the very heart of God was cut into a pie. And he gave a piece of the pie to you, and a piece of the pie to you, and a piece of the pie to you. So Jesus operates in all of it. But we don't. We do not see the big picture. We all do not operate the same way, but the way we operate and the way we've been gifted came from Christ, and each individual person has a piece or a part of the heart of God. Now, this is going to 
make even more sense here in a few moments. But now I want to look at verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. This is what many people refer to as the five-fold ministry, because there are five. Apostles, prophets, let me ask you a question. Are apostles still around? Do prophets still exist? How do you know that? Well, let's, let's look at verse 12. These people who are professionals or everybody? Everybody. everybody. Open book test. We're going to keep doing this. We get Everybody. Now, obviously, some people work in a church. Some people are missionaries. Some people would do what we call full-time. But adults, children, if you're a Christian, you have received a gift. And what are these gifts? There's five of them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's these five, okay? They have a job. Who has a job? Everybody. Yes, we're getting somewhere. Everybody's got a job. Really? Everybody's got a job. What's that job? Everybody's job, depending on what you are, is to equip the saints, in verse 12, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to build up. So we have a job to equip other people. You have a job to equip other people to do something that they don't know how to do. To operate in a way they don't know how to operate. To see like they don't currently know how to see. So you are equipping them to do something which is ministry, which is serving. Now, for the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is all of us. It's the family of God. Verse 13, till, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, I love it, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Paul is like the king of run-on sentences. That was one sentence. Whoo! Holy cow. I, 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 didn't, I can't get away with that. If I said that, you'd be like, he doesn't know English. But Paul didn't speak English. He spoke probably Greek and everything else. But, but I want you to see here, I, coming back to this idea, do we still have apostles? Do we still have prophets? Now, nobody, 
I shouldn't say anyway. Most people in the body of Christ acknowledge evangelist exists. What's an evangelist? An evangelist is a person who tells other people about Jesus. Their passion is they care about the lost. Now, I think most churches would say they believe in pastors because that's what they call them. A pastor is a shepherd, someone who looks out for other people and, and makes, makes the sheep strong. And then, of course, teachers. Most churches believe in teachers. But apostles and prophets, there's a ton of baggage with those two terms. A lot of people get scared. Some of you are getting nervous as I'm talking because you don't know how weird this is going to get. You're like, all right, where is he going? Where is this guy going? Is he going to start calling himself names and giving himself titles? Listen, the reason why there is so much misunderstanding and so much baggage, of course, is because uh, we don't, you know, we oftentimes haven't been taught, but it's because we think institutionally and not family. You see, in, in God's kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. So, do you think that apostle still exists? Well, it says right here in verse 13 that this will happen till. Do you guys see the word? Do you want to pop that word up till verse 13? Till we all come to the unity. Have we reached that point? The body of Christ, till the body of Christ comes to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have we attained that? No. So it would stand to reason that God's word is still true, even though people abuse it, misuse it, and completely misunderstand it. So, biblically speaking, apostles and prophets do exist today. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go into everything. I'm this is hard for me, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to be quick. With apostles and prophets, the, the real heart is serving, and it's not about a title. Like if someone comes up to you and says, hi, I'm Apostle Daniel, or I'm Prophet Daniel, it's weird. Why do you do that? Many times it's because of insecurity. Some of us think apostles are better than pastors. Some of us think evangelists are better than teachers. Do you, do, you, do you see how messed up we get in our thinking? We make it like a ladder. And I want to be very clear. You, there, there are people in this room who are apostles. But that does not mean you can get to go, go, to write, go write new scriptures. That's not what we're talking about. I want you to pull your brain out of like comparing every apostle to the apostle Peter or something as if you're writing canon or scripture. And I want you to try as best you can for today to kind of remove your brain from like some weird Elijah thing like Old Testament prophet. In this New Testament family, everybody has a function and one is not greater than the other. But if you deny that certain ones even exist out of fear of abuse, you're going to hurt yourself. Because every function matters. Everyone. Some people look at the list as like this hierarchical thing where people on the top are, are primo and the people on the bottom are just not. That's just not what he's trying to say. 
So as we function and we work together, we're going to unlock the gift that God has for us. So another thing I want you to see, that it doesn't say they got the gift of prophecy or the gift of evangelism. The Bible says they're an evangelist. They don't have the gift of teaching. They are a teacher. They don't have the gift of, being, of, of apostleship. They are an apostle. I want you to see they don't have the gift. They are the gift. And everyone in this room has at least one. I believe many times people have a secondary gift. Some even maybe a third dairy. But some people are purebreds in who they, in God created them to be. And God made us all different. Just like the snowflakes, right? We are the gift. And we literally are a walking package. A walking present. Now, like I said, it can lead to a lot of frustration, though, when you get around people that are not like you. Because I want to take a moment to kind of briefly talk about the fivefold, because many people are not aware. So the first one you see is, is apostle. Now, I'm going to use the hand to show the fivefold because I think it's an easy way to remember. So, typically speaking, this is, this is not biblical. This is just helping you remember. The thumb are apostles. Apostles are important to helping the rest of the fingers work together. They actually, like, apostles really create a flow. And when you are rightly aligned with an apostle, it helps the other four function extremely well. It helps them do things uh, on a high level. But also the thumb is, the, is usually the most unique and diversified of all the five fingers. Whereas these are kind of more on this side and this is kind of separated. So apostles are unique. And when you say, well, what is an apostle? In a nutshell, an apostle is somebody who is more like an architect. They think in terms of blueprint. And so when you get around an apostle, most of the time, almost all the time, apostles don't even know they're apostles. They just know they think differently than everybody else. Apostles are horrible managers. Tim just laughs because Tim's an apostle. Now, he doesn't go around. Don't ever call him an apostle. Don't be apostle, Tim. I'll weird him out. But Tim actually functions in the, in the gift of an apostle. And he didn't even know it probably for a long time because we didn't believe in him. So then, but, so, but as you learn your gift, you can learn to, to grow in it. You can grow in what God has put inside of you and who you are. But the thing about an apostle is they look at the body of Christ and they, they see things in the Bible and they see things in heaven that, it, that are cultural based. And then they want to take the culture of heaven and they want to, to create the body of Christ, the family of God, the church, in such a way that, hey, like an architect, if we, if we empower evangelists, if we disciple people here, and they start to, they think big picture, and they think this culture, let's create this culture, this flow, and let's equip. Pastor Tim is always wanting to, you have a, you have a gift, you have a purpose. You ever heard him say that? That's his apostle gift. It's, it's, it's like, you, you would function great over here. You would, he, he sees it. And, he, and the thing about apostles is they're always looking for a mountain to climb. They get so bored. 
so bored so fast. That's why Tim would go to council meetings with another idea, and they're like, of course Tim has another idea. That's the apostle. Apostles are great starters. Sometimes if they're not developed, they're not great finishers. A lot of times they like to move. They like to go. So when you, when you, when they, when you put them in a position where they just are like moss, just like staying put, just run the machine. Just do what we always do. Preach another sermon, preacher. They die. They're not designed to manage. They're designed to equip and to get other people in the places where God has called them to be because they know that that's where the magic is. So, so when an apostle does what they do, they see everything through a lens. Now, right now, I've got sunglasses on that they're yellow. And you guys all look really yellow. And so when I walk around, all I see is yellow. But you guys aren't seeing that. Don't you see what I see? Why doesn't the church do this? Because they don't have the same lens. And you say, well, I've, I've spent time with God and I've heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord told me way to go this direction. And then another person, completely different lens. This is actually more of a green lens. It's kind of iridescent to you. But they're like... Yeah, you guys are all green. You, there, you guys are like, do I look funny? I bet you I look awesome. I look way cooler now with sunglasses on. <laughs> Another person spends time with the Holy Spirit, and they come out of the prayer closet. They're like, I, have, I believe that the Lord's sending us that way. And two people, no, 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 it's, it's yellow. No, it's green. It's green over here. And they're like, these people don't even hear the voice of God. I have the knowledge. I have the vision. But we see in part, and we know in part, which is why we, we're talking about humility today. So, so what happens is, with, with these gifts, it completely colors, not how we, just how we function, but how we see. It even affects the scripture verses you're attracted to. You go and you get a pastor. Now, pastor, well, I, should, I should stay in order. I'll, I'll, I'll do a good job. I'll be in order. So you got the apostle. Daniel must go faster. I'm talking to myself. All right. The next one is the pointer finger. Guess which one that is? Prophet. Stop sinning. <laughs> Prophets do prophesy, but I think a lot of times what people don't realize is when it comes to, pro- to prophets, their core value is the will of God. It do- what, how do you feel? I don't care how you feel. What does God want? <laughs> I want to know what is the will of God What is the heart of God? So prophets declare the will of God, intercede and pray the will of God. And if they don't see the will of God happening, they get very distraught. And it really bothers them. When they see sin and people and things out of alignment, it grieves them. It's harsh on them. Some of you are like, that's that's what I am? I've never prophesied in my day in my life. There are people that are prophets and have never prophesied. Prophecy is, um, how do I say this? A manifestation of the gift. Because prophecy is declaring the will of God. Declaring the word of God. So when Jesus was on the earth, he operated as an apostle, he operated as a prophet, and he declared, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. That's, that's the prophet. 
And so prophets operate very black and white, very right and wrong. But I'll tell you from experience, prophets operate way, way better with an apostle. Apostles are good for prophets because apostles focus on the culture of heaven. And they, just like Paul started all of his letters, he would be like, this is the heart of God. This is the, your new identity. And he would, he would spend like three chapters telling you, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. God loves you. God paid for you. And, and, and when you get the flow of these gifts working together, they help each other significantly so a prophet doesn't become legalistic or hurtful because this doesn't go so well in the New Testament. You know what I mean? In the Old Testament, you could call down fire, but it doesn't go so well in the New Testament. So, so moving along. The next one is the finger that goes out the longest. It's not, not, I'm not sticking that one up. This is the evangelist. Because the evangelist says, we need to get out there. What are we doing huddled up in our churches? We're boring. We're already, they're already, they're fine. We need to reach out to our community. What kind of church is this? All they do is want to sing and pray. Let's get out there. Big sinners don't know it matters. And they get frustrated. Many of you probably, if you, have, if you are an evangelist, you have probably been frustrated with our church. You need to, we, need, we need you to give us grace. Like, as in your grace. We need you to do your job in this house. Because I'm not an evangelist, but there are evangelists in this house. And there's grace on you to equip us, to build us up so we can do more than just operate at 20% of our capacity or 40% capacity. And by that I'm referring to the pie of Jesus. We need 100%. You see, we, we, we don't all see it all. But you can see how as we can honor those who are not like us. And I'll be honest, prophets, they're not welcome in a lot of places, but you, but you know who else really struggles with in, in the church and sometimes with the church is evangelists. Evangelists oftentimes really struggle because they're the one gift that's outside of us. For 80% of the gifts are for the church. 20% are for the world. You, now, I'm not saying that we're, we're, we are all called to tell people about Jesus. But that one gift can really struggle because they can almost feel like, I see it, don't you see it? And they oftentimes say things that offend people and do things that can be frustrating to people. Some people are laughing. Some wives are laughing at their husbands, I hear. <laughs> Won't mention any names. But do you see how valuable it is to really honor those that are not like you, that do not see like you see. Because if we dishonor the evangelist, they won't be here. They'll go somewhere else. And many people will miss out on the gospel because we did not honor the gift. So moving faster along, not really fast, moving faster. The next one is pastors. And this is the wedding ring. That's got my wedding band right here. Pastors, they say, are married to the church. Now, just because you have the title of a pastor does not mean that you are a pastor. In all honesty, neither Tim or I are pastors. We both are called pastor. We get honored to pastor appreciation. But actually, our function is not pastoring. 
Some of you know we're not very good at it. You've been around. Pastors are such amazing people. Pastors are, they really are compassionate. They want people around them to be strong, victorious. When people's marriages are falling apart, when people are in the hospital, when people are, you know, they, they're in there. Let's make them strong. Let's build them up. Some of, there's like a, probably a bunch of you that are pastors and you'll never get the title. But your function is you're a pastor. You're a shepherd. You're so important. You're so important. And, and the impact you make, at, you know, you're probably shepherding people at your work environment. You're shepherding people in the office. You're shepherding your family members. Are you doing okay? Are you feeling strong? And you're just building them up. And then lastly, you got teachers at the pinky. You know, the smallest, but not, not the least. Not, I want to say, it's important. I don't, I don't want to say it the right way. But the thing about the pinky is it keeps you from losing your grip. It kind of helps you hold on to stuff. Because the teacher looks at everything through the scripture. And so sometimes people say things and prophesy things and do things that are a little weird. And the teacher says they see through the lens of the Bible. And they say, eh, uh, that's not in there. I, I can't find it. That's, that's, that's not biblical. You're, you're making this stuff up. This is weird. Now, sometimes there are things that just are not in the Bible. It's not anti-biblical. But what teachers do is they, they understand cause and effect. Oh, your marriage isn't working? Well, there's a reason for that. So if something's broken, let's find out what's wrong. And then we'll work backwards and we'll fix it. The pastor's like, I'm here to bleed with you and cry to you. The teacher says, hey, let's figure this out. Let's fix it. So teachers view it all through the lens of scripture and they're so important to our development, to our growth. I don't know how to do finances, God. And God's like, I've been putting that guy who knows finances right by you to teach you how to do finances. The grace is right there for the fivefold. So, so we go and we have our, you know, our, our different colored glasses. I, this is blue, and I got my green. I, I should have got five, actually. Then it would have been perfect. Blue, you can't see you guys very well. Like, you're a little dim. But, but you can, what we do is, is the prophets a lot of times gravitate to the prophets, and they're all watching the prophets on YouTube. And they're sending you text messages and videos. Hey, you should watch this prophecy. This is so awesome. And the teachers are listening to just, no, I want solid. I don't want people to actually use the Bible. And I'm, you know, and they're like, this, and and, and we, we just gravitate to our gift. And we subconsciously think that the way we think is the way everyone should think. And we, we have a tendency to, to think that ours is the best. Now we don't say it. I don't think we even try to think it, but it shows up. And so one of the, my favorite things about my, my life is I get to hang out with such a diversity of people. I get to hang out with apostles and prophets. I get to hang out with teachers and old and young. And I, get, I, I get to see a lot of people. But what, I, but what so breaks my heart is when I watch them miss out on the other gifts. I've, I've watched it so many times. I'm like, do you realize that, don't dishonor that prophet. 
I know you think it's weird, but don't dishonor that prophet. I know you don't understand the Bible, but don't make fun of Bible teachers. Like, I, like you, you may think that you have all the knowledge because you've had encounters with God, and you may think you have all the knowledge because you've had encounters with the lost, and you may think you have all the knowledge because you had know the scripture better than anybody else, but do not think you know it all or see it all. It really calls for humility. And I want to look back in verse 1 of this passage, uh, chapter 4, of course, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's, there's a humility there. And I cannot tell you, I, I've been on staff here for about 15 years and almost like 99% of the time I am the only person that sees with my gift mix literally I have spent years going into staff meetings with my with my blue vision I go in there and I see something that nobody else sees 2005, 2007, 2013, I, I, I literally am, as far as I know, the only person that has the gift mix that I have. And you guys understand how difficult it is to tell everybody they're wrong and prove it? <laughs> I have worked so hard in my staff meetings to get them where they need to be. And it's not just staff meetings, it's when I did youth ministry, it was a youth worker meeting. Like, it is a lot of work to tell everybody they're wrong and then to go piece by piece showing them that you're right. <laughs> but about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, God really unpacked this passage of scripture to me. And the Lord started showing me when I went into my staff meetings that just because I can see and hear from God doesn't mean they can't see and hear from God. And I began to get humble. And, you know, once in a while I do a good job being humble. But we see in part, we know in part. So we don't see it all. So this requires humility to really understand, hey, they might be different. They may not see what I see. But can I be humble enough to receive the gift? Now, I want to bring one last kind of idea that I think is so powerful. It's out of, uh, I'll start in Matthew chapter 10. Start, you guys are like, how much longer is he going? It won't be that much longer. I'm gonna land this plane. I need a few minutes though to unpack. And all, everything I've been doing has just been getting you to this point. You guys are like, oh boy. I could do this in three hours. Just verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 and 41. Jesus says, he who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward so what I want you to see here is the way you receive a person 
determines what you get from them. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses the term prophet? Out of all the terms he could have used, why do you think he did that? It's because prophets are usually the hardest pill to swallow. No offense to any prophets in the room. Prophets function differently and can be very difficult for the body of Christ to receive. Especially if they're not developed and matured in their gifting. But what happens is, if you receive, you know, prophet A, this is prophet A right here, invisible. If you receive this prophet as a prophet, you will get a prophet's reward. But if you just receive them as a righteous person, then you won't get a prophet's reward. You get a righteous man's reward. How you receive them determines what you get from them. You can, remember, they don't have the gift, they are the gift. So when you receive them as the gift that they are, don't, don't put them on a pedestal. They don't need a title in front of their name. But if you honor the gift that they are, no matter if they're that great of person or good personality, it doesn't matter. What's going to happen is the grace that has already been deposited inside of them will be unlocked and the grace will be released unto you. So what this can look like is I'm, I'm not an evangelist. But when I hang out and align myself in unity with evangelists, I start to care more about people that don't know Jesus. And I start getting better and more aware at reaching out to people who do not know Jesus. You see, the job of the evangelist is not for them to evangelize and the rest of us play church. The job of the evangelist is to equip us with grace, not just knowledge, not just training, but literally the grace that is in them, the supernatural power to reach out, can be deposited into everybody else. So the entire church will, be, will have grace to tell other people about Jesus. The prophet's job is not primarily to prophesy. Obviously, they do that. The prophet's job is to teach you to prophesy. Every, I don't have time to go into this, every Christian can prophesy because the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he has all of the gifts. So the prophet's job is to teach you how to hear God for yourself, how to prophesy and tell people things about themselves that, that you didn't even know in the natural realm. It's supernatural grace. When you honor a prophet, it will open up your eyes to see. It will open up your ears to hear. I know people make this weird and make it institutional, but do not miss out on the grace because of the abuse. The prophet will empower you to, to hear God better than you could hear by yourself. I remember years ago when I got into Chuck Missler. He's a, 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 he has since passed, but he was a Calvary Chapel teacher. When I listened to him, he equipped me with grace. He didn't just teach the Bible. 
I began to see the Bible like I had never saw it before. Do you see how this works? When you honor teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles, when you honor them as they are, you unlock the gift. And the grace becomes yours. And you can operate. And people, some of you think you're one gift or another. It's not that you have the gift. It's that you're lined up and you're operating out of other people's anointing. You can literally operate out of other people's anointing and other people's grace. And it makes you look a lot better than you really are. I am living proof of that. I've, I'm not stolen the anointing, but I've, I've learned this secret. If I honor them and come into alignment... I will receive the grace that is on their life. And then I, as I operate out of the grace, I remember, I remember uh, not too long ago, probably this summer, I was in a conversation with somebody and they were asking me for counsel. They were asking me for wisdom and all this sort of thing. And I, uh, I didn't know what to say. You know how it is when you, well, you don't, maybe you don't, but you know how it is when you're counseling people and you don't have a clue what to say. You don't know what's going on. And you just kind of mumble and ramble and try to make up something profound. I never do that. But this time I did. This time I did. And this person was really, and, and then this person just kind of stopped. And I just kind of said, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just, blah, blah, blah. And this person said to me, no, no. I really honor you. And I believe you have wisdom in this area. And that God will get, you know, that I really trust you in this. And this is what I believe I heard the Lord say. Something to the effect of, don't uh, speak, uh, what, how did he say it? Don't speak worthless words. But this person, like, they put a demand on my gift. Literally, I was not in the anointing. I was not in the spirit. I was not anything that would make you think I was anything special. And the person on the phone put a demand on the gift because they knew the gift was there. And I'm not saying this because I want you to think highly of me. It's, it's, it works the same for us, all of us. The gift was released in me, and all of a sudden the Lord said, don't utter worthless words. And then, boom, it just all dropped in my lap, and I started speaking and telling them, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, and I began to clarify and make a perfect sense of their situation. And for like five minutes, I was so smart. <laughs> I was such a smart guy. I, I, I wish I could go on and on, but I think you're getting the gist. If you put a demand on the gift, you can access so much. The gift is in your house, it's in your children, it's in you, it's in this, everybody around here. You can put a demand and you can access the grace of God and it's right there for the taking. Katie, you want to come up here to make me stop? I want to look at one final scripture. Psalm 133. I'm going to land the plane on this verse. Thank you for your patience. I know I've, I've done a lot of teaching today, and you've done a great job. All right, so Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So he's talking about unity. In verse 2, it is like the precious oil... Upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. So, this might make no sense to you, but Aaron was the high priest uh, 
when Moses uh, was leading the people of Israel. So he was the first high priest for the nation of Israel. Moses is a foreshadowing or a type of Christ. And so he is a picture of Jesus, our high priest. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is the head of the body. He is the source, he is the head, and he is our high priest. So, the oil in Scripture represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, here we go. When, bre- when we dwell in unity, when we are in alignment, it is like the precious anointing oil. I'm adding my own words to help you understand. Upon the head of our high priest. Running down the beard of Jesus. Running down on the edge of his garments. Do you see that? When we walk in unity, it releases the anointing through Christ to us. Then in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon. That's a, that's a, a mountain. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So he's saying that this mountain has dew on it, and the dew of, there's a transfer from one mountain to the next. When we live in unity, and as we operate in alignment and in unity, that's where God commands a blessing. We need to land this. You guys want to stand up? You guys have been a wonderful audience. If you're watching online, I'm assuming you did a good job too. (laughs) Let's pray. King Jesus, we honor you. We respect you. And Lord, I thank you for the body, the creativity, the diversity, the beauty that you have spread yourself out and created something beautiful. And Lord, I pray that evangelists would evangelize, but they would also equip. That prophets would prophesy, but they'd also equip. God, I pray that this church would enter into operating as a five-fold church, a five-fold ministry, not just two or three, but God, we pray that you would bring people in, that you would raise people up, that you develop people in their gifting, God, I pray in Jesus' name that this body would learn how to work with other churches in this community, that we would operate with more unity, with more humility, with more grace. God, I pray that you'd show us how to unlock the resources of heaven. We thank you, and I ask, Lord, that you give us all eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.